Genesis chapter number two. We introduced these final few verses, verses 18 through 25, uh, last Sunday. And our final point, our third and final point, was God created marriage for our good and His glory. And we are certainly going to build on top of uh, that final point. Title of this morning's message is The First Institution. Biblical marriage. We have an opportunity to dive in deep here as we work expositionally through this book of Genesis. And anytime we uh, have an opportunity to nail a topical theme down, such as as marriage or or parenting or relationships, uh, we we want to anchor there just for a little bit to make sure we have an opportunity uh, to really just squeeze every drop we can out of it. And so I'm excited. Uh, but also uh, slightly anxious this morning about this topic, right? I mean, I'm sure you men out there can empathize with me a little bit about just uh, preaching about marriage, right? Because as Andy stated, we're all in varying stages of improvement by His grace. And uh, so, but I'm excited and I'm trusting the Lord that His Spirit would use this, this text of Scripture uh, as we look at marriage in its infancy, the earliest stage is possible, we get to see God's heart, His mind, and ultimately His Word on this topic of marriage. So let's open in a word of prayer. Ask the Lord to bless our time together. Father, we thank You that You are God, that You're on Your throne, that You are sovereign over all, that You are in all and through all. And so, Father, I pray this morning that You would have Your way as a King of kings and the Lord of lords, a creator of us, that you would do a work that I cannot do, that your spirit would prick hearts, that your spirit would cause us to be stirred up as a result of being confronted this morning with the inerrant, inspired word of God that is breathed out for our benefit. I pray that we would be attentive hearers this morning, that we would sit up and lean into this morning's message, not because I'm speaking, but because it is your word and it is worthy of our utmost attention. Father, I pray also a step further that we would not just be hearers this morning, but we would be doers of your word, that your word would be like that seed that falls on that tilled up, fertile ground that is just ready to receive the seed of your word. I pray that it would not be trampled out, that it would not be uh, snatched up, it would not be choked out by the thorns of the carelessness of our mind or the cares of this world, but your word would take root in our heart and it would bear fruit that would remain. Father, we need to hear from you this morning. Where else can we go Father, you alone have the words of life. There's no man's wisdom. There's no self-help three steps that can cause us to have a better marriage. There's no amount of worldly wisdom that could cause us to be a godly father, a godly mother, a husband and a wife that you desire to be. So Father, only you can do that work, and I pray that you would do it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Marriage, where to begin on a topic that is so hard, but many times so basic, right? Where do we begin with a topic that's so complex as is a husband and a wife coming together with all our backgrounds, our idiosyncrasies? Um, our bad habits, our good habits. What do we say about something that is that complex? But yet, when you look at the word marriage, that topic, a husband and a wife, God's word says that it doesn't have to be complex. It doesn't have to be confusing. It doesn't have to be something that we get through, but rather it can be something as God designed. It can be something for our good and for His glory. And so I don't know, I just want to lay it out there right now. I don't know what state you would describe your marriage in right now. Maybe if you could give yourself a grade, right? Don't say it out loud. I won't, I won't make you do that, right? But in your mind, 
right, in your mind, just between you and the Lord, in your heart, how are you doing in your marriage? Many of you here this morning have grown up in the church. You know all the verses that I'm about to share. You know all the topics that I'm about to address. You likely have heard this over and over and over again. You likely have attended multiple scores of marriage conferences and been challenged to be a better husband and a better wife. But yet time goes by after those mountaintop experiences and we settle into what? Everyday life. We settle into this reality that I'm a sinner and this spouse that is in my home with me is also a sinner and many times there is there is tension there is conflict there is friction between husband and wife and so we approach this topic of marriage uh, with all kinds of different backgrounds and thoughts and ideas and presuppositions maybe you've been married for just a few years maybe you've been married for multiple multiple decades Dave, you just celebrated an anniversary, didn't you? How many years? 49 years. 49 years. Does Dave have a speed? I think so. 49 years. And maybe you're somewhere in between on that scale of, of newlyweds or a seasoned veteran like Dave and Pam. They're sitting far apart, but they got grandkids in between each other. So I guess, I don't know if I should read into that, Pam, or you guys good? Okay, good, all right. But I'm excited this morning to share with you about this topic of marriage. Spurgeon, in speaking on this topic, said, A well-matched couple carry a joyful life between them. Why? They are a brace of birds of paradise, he describes them. I love his poetic quotes. He goes on to say, They multiply their joys by sharing them together. And they lessen their troubles by dividing them between each other. This is, he describes as fine arithmetic. Is that your, your marriage? Is that how you would describe it right now today? Multiplying the joys and dividing the troubles, doing life together, arm in arm. Tim Keller, in his book, The Meaning of Marriage, says, as a pastor, he says, I have spoken to thousands of couples working on marriage seeking, working on marriage sustaining, and working on marriage saving. I've heard them say over and over, love shouldn't be this, what? Hard. Ever thought that before? In the middle of a heated discussion? shouldn't be this hard. It shouldn't be this difficult. We shouldn't be at odds in this way. He goes on to say uh, that many times those individuals have the idea that it should come naturally. In response, Tim Keller says, I always say something like, why believe that? Would someone who wants to play professional baseball say it shouldn't be so hard to hit a fastball? Would someone who wants to write the greatest American novel of her generation say it shouldn't be hard to create believable characters and compelling narrative? I read that quote because it resonated with me because in this world, I don't know if you'd resonate with this, in this world I find almost anything worthwhile will always require what? Substantial and consistent effort. Otherwise known as hard work. Anything worthwhile always comes at a what? A cost of our effort, our time, our resources, our focus, our energy. It's going to be hard. It's going to be difficult. There will be what? Trials and uncertainty. I mean, just think about it. Whether it's progression in your career, ups and downs of trying to work towards that next step in where you're headed with your career and being able to provide for your family in a more substantial way, it always requires what? Some peaks and some, some valleys. You put yourself out there for the promotion. You interview it for it once and twice and three times, and you get turned away over and over and over again. 
You learn how to what? Interview better. You learn how to tweak that resume. You learn how to answer those questions. You take on extra work in the meantime to show why that you're faithful and that you're ready for extra responsibility. That's hard stuff. But at the end of the day, there is a, there's a reward. There's a process. There's effort. It's hard work. Maybe it's your personal health and fitness journey. For myself, the lack thereof, right? I look at many of you. I've been faithful in your and your health and fitness journey, it's taken effort and hard work, consistency of sticking to what the plan, of not cheating, not trying to cut corners, not looking for the quick fix. It's just day after day after day doing the what? The work. This is, this is no different, right? So whether it's your career, your health and fitness, Maybe it's turning that side hustle that really gets you motivated, that you really enjoy doing. Maybe it's turning that side hustle into a business and trying to scale it. It requires some failures and some successes over and over and again, and you require progress. Remodeling your home, growing or cultivating grass or plants, it all takes diligent effort, intentional steps towards a desired destination. So I want us to be clear, marriage many times in our American culture is always viewed through what? Rose-colored glasses. It's this fairy tale idea of man meets woman and gets carried off into the sunset and they'll live happily ever after. And many times we come to marriage with that type of expectation and it fails us, us miserably. Why? Because we're sinful human beings. My wife has expectations that I don't and I have expectations that she don't. That she don'ts. And we, I, my dad's from Alabama, right? So I just, I layer those things in every once in a while, right? And we come together and we try to reconcile those expectations, and many times we're light years apart. And so we gotta figure out how to work through that, how to walk that journey together, and to make the most of this thing that God has ordained and instituted called marriage. We all know this to be true. If the goal or desired outcome is important enough to us, what will we do? We will do whatever is necessary to hit that goal. So what's the goal this morning? What's the goal that, that God has laid out for us in his word in Genesis chapter number 2, verses 18 through 25? The goal this morning is for us, his people, to understand as male and female what it looks like to come together in the institution of marriage to covenant and commit together and before the Lord to be the gospel made visible. That's what marriage is. Marriage is simply the gospel made visible. So God has some very eternal and inspiring plans and purposes for us to consider in the context of marriage this morning. So we work hard towards it. I don't know, have you ever been there before in classic American style? You come up with a goal or a destination that you want to arrive at. Maybe it is that promotion. Maybe it is remodeling your home, whatever it might be. What do you have to do first? You have to define your why. The why is the motivation that we look to throughout the process. We deploy what's known as the proximity principle. What's that? We network with others for counsel who have already accomplished our desired outcome. From there, we set a goal. And it's not just any goal. It's a, it's a smart goal. Right? You guys know smart goals? It's specific. It's measurable. It's attainable. It's relevant. And it's time-based. We then devise this detailed plan. We track our progress. We share this goal with others close to us so they help keep us accountable. They cheer us on. They're in our corner throughout the process. And we do all this with the goal of accomplishing what we set out to do. And most often than not, if we do that with that type of process, what will happen? We'll get it done. We'll accomplish what we set out to accomplish. And so... Let's take a step back and hit, hit a timeout, hit the pause button. Going back to the grade that you gave yourself on your marriage. Was it an A? Are you fulfilling all the plans and purposes and desires that God has laid out for us in Scripture for your marriage? Are you being the husband to your wife? 
that he says we should be in Ephesians chapter number 5, where we are sacrificially giving of ourselves to serve and meet the needs of our wife. Wife, what grade did you give yourself? Are you fulfilling your role and responsibility in the context of complementarity marriage to be the wife that God has designed you to be in this world? So if you're like me, I struggle many times with giving myself an A. A B many times is a struggle. Man, am I just, just scooting by with the passing grade in regards to my marriage? Have other things become more important? Am I chasing after the other cares of the world? Has my responsibility as a father crowded out my desire to love and pursue my wife in those special ways? I don't know about you, but marriage can be difficult and giving myself an A++ every day of my life is few and far between. We've got to come to grips with this reality that many of us are failing in our marriage. Why? Because it's out of priority in our life. It's out of priority in our life. And so this morning, we have the opportunity to simply hit the recalibration on our marriage. To consider what has God said about you, husband? What has God said about you, wife? What does he want to accomplish in and through your marriage for his glory this morning? So I would contend based on my own story, just knowing the weakness of my flesh, the frailty of my mind, based on human nature, looking at current trends and statistics, There are very few marriages that are actively living out a God-sized vision for each other. So what is our definition of a successful marriage that we've settled for in our American Christian culture? We've settled for the definition of a successful marriage in our American Christian culture by saying this, we're successful in our marriage if we simply avoid the catastrophe of a scandal or infidelity. As long as I'm not failing in the big ways, I'm doing okay. John O., a pastor at Cornerstone Church in Atlanta, says this on the topic of marriage. Tornadoes can topple a house, but it goes on to say, but so can termites. There are great warnings for tornadoes, but not so much for termites. What's John saying there? A successful marriage isn't just defined by dodging the tornado. It's about eradicating every single little termite of failure, of sin, of pursuing other things other than your wife. It's about understanding that God cares about the little things and He wants to do something big with your marriage and my marriage, all for his glory. So the big idea of our text this morning is this, because God desires marriage between one man and one woman to be a picture of the gospel, we must pursue our spouses with a God-sized vision accompanied by a sense of urgency and focused intentionality, realizing there is a thief who desires to steal, kill, and destroy what God has firmly established. That was a mouthful of a purpose statement. I had a lot that I wanted to get in there, so hopefully you latched onto that. In summary, God wants us to passionately and intentionally, with a sense of urgency, pursue our spouses in a biblical way because there's something very big at stake. It's called eternity. It's called the impact of our gospel witness on this earth is all impacted by how we, or the lack thereof, are relating to our spouse in biblical marriage. It's a big deal. So I believe our stated goal this morning as we reflect on this beautiful narrative right here in Genesis chapter number 2, verses 18 through 25, we're going to see God establishing this first institution of marriage And again, we should approach it with this idea of, hey, God, Holy Spirit, just would you recalibrate my heart? Would you recalibrate my mind? Would you realign our lives together so that we could refocus on what God has to say about our marriage and these most infant stages right here in the history of mankind? The first man, the first woman, Adam and Eve coming together, the covenant of marriage. 
So this morning, we're going to look at three basic truths of marriage this morning. The first is going to be this. We're going to look at the purposes of biblical marriage. Secondly, we're going to look at the priority of biblical marriages. And secondly, we're going to look at the perseverance of biblical marriage. If you remember with me from last week, Again, we briefly introduced this third point of biblical marriage for our good and His glory. And I asked us to consider a question as we moved into our A&I time. I I hope both groups were able to, to kind of introduce this question. I asked this question. I said, how should a proper understanding of the circumstances and purposes of the creation of Eve, right, the woman, how should that change how we as men, as husbands, relate to our wives today? I am fully convinced that if we understand the context of this creation account of Eve, of God creating woman and man to be together, I'm fully convinced that if we truly understand this in the biblical light, that it will radically change how we relate to our wives, men. And it, it must, it must change how we relate to our wives if we understand Adam and Eve and God creating them to be together in marriage. So the purposes of biblical marriage. I'd like to make a broad statement as we introduce this first point this morning. It might seem a bit obvious, uh, but I think it's important to note that God's purposes for marriage can only be accomplished within God's original design for marriage. Okay, let me say that again. God's purposes for biblical marriage. We're about to, we're about to lay those out. I'm, I'm going to name a number of them. Those purposes that we will lay out this morning, they can only be accomplished within the context of God's original design for marriage. And so I just want to make a few comments around God's original design for marriage. I want to point us just by way of strengthening our understanding of our statement of faith. As covenant members at Liberty Hills Bible Church, you uh, have to agree to our statement of faith in order to join and, um, and commit to covenant membership. And so we have a section in our statement of faith called marriage and sexual excuse me marriage gender and sexuality and we state in there that we believe that god created human beings distinctly as male and female we see that in genesis 1 verse 27 turn back to chapter 1 for me what does it say so god created man in his own image in the image of god he created him what male and female he created them so that's a pretty basic statement god created gender Male and female. Gender does not evolve. It is not fluid. It is always male. It is always female. So our day, it's important to note that God's word is is truth and we must anchor our hearts, our beliefs on that reality. The distinctness, the complementarity, And the relational nature of the human race as male and female is based on the created order given by God when he created humanity in his image. Again, we just read that in Genesis 1, verse number 27. And these establish what? We say a normative connection between biological sex and gender. The created distinctness, complementarity, and relational nature also establish the basis for the marital relationship as being between one man and one woman. And so we hold firmly on that reality that marriage has always been and will always be between one man and one woman. Amen. Absolutely. In the day and age that we live in, it's important for us to believe that and know that Liberty Hills Bible Church, that is our belief. So again, I'd like to state that the purposes of biblical marriage that are laid out here in these verses, 18 through 25, they can only come about, they can only be fully realized and accomplished within God's original design and definition of marriage, which is between one man and one woman. Let's read our text this morning, verses 18 through 25 of chapter number two of Genesis. Then the Lord God said, it is not good that the man should be what? Alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. So out of the ground, the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. Verse 20, 
The man gave names to all livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and he brought her to the man. Then the man said, this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. The purposes of biblical marriage. We see this word helper two times in our text this morning. I find that to be a key word as we consider the purposes of biblical marriage. It's a beautiful word. I'm so thankful that that the Lord chose to describe this relationship together, this complementarian relationship of, of man and woman coming together for the covenant of marriage as a helping type of relationship. Right? Can you resonate with that word? Can you, are you thankful that you have a spouse and that the Lord thought it well for you to be helped in your life by bringing a spouse to come alongside of you? So in summary, let's catch this up to this point. God has created everything that we see and enjoy in this world in six literal days, right? In chapter 1, verse 31 is recorded that God saw everything that he had made and behold, it was very good, God said. And then in chapter 2, verse number 7, we covered it last week. The Lord God formed man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the the breath of life and the man became a living creature. So we have all of creation and we have man. God then states in verse 18, it is not good that this man that he created in this world that he described as very good, he said it was not good that this man be what? Alone. So what did God do? I will make for him a helper fit for him. So God describes This progression of creating man and creating woman and joining them in marriage by way of a qualifying word, that word is help. Adam needed help. And all God's men here this morning said what? Amen. Do you need some help in your life, men? Are you thankful for the woman that God has provided for you in the context of marriage to be a helper fit for you? Not somebody else, for you. That's beautiful. That's amazing. That is glorious. That is magnificent. That the Lord thought of us in that way to provide for us a helper fit for us. Have the years that have gone by in your marriage have they caused the wonder and amazement? The gloriousness? Is that even a word? The magnificence of that reality that God has given you a helper in your life, has that grown a little dull? Has that been diluted by the cares of this world, the struggles of life and children? Friends, God wants us to remember the beauty of marriage this morning, that he's given us a helper. Adam needed help. This Hebrew word here for help is azar which is where we derive our old English word, sucker, C-U-C-C, excuse me, S-U-C-C-O-R. This has the idea of providing assistance and support in times of hardship and distress. So in a sense, we can view Eve and the creation of the woman as a direct means of what provision from the Lord. I'm going to point out three We'll call it four purposes for marriage that we'll see in our text here this morning. Let's go to verses 18 through 20. We're going to point out this morning that God gave us marriage to fulfill our emotional needs. Verse number 18, again, the Lord God said, it's not good that the man should be, what? Alone. The man's alone. The Lord is concerned about his loneliness. 
We read on in our, our text, right, that Adam was equipped and commissioned to do what? To name all of the animals on this earth. And he goes through all that exercise, the birds of the air, the beasts of the field. He gives them all the name. And they've, they've got a helper that's there to go off to be fruitful and multiply, to fill the earth as he commissioned the, the animals to do. But at the end of that exercise, Adam had nobody. He was alone. God said that's a problem. So he met that need. He provided for the emotional loneliness of Adam. Adam was alone. There's something special just about the simplicity of companionship in marriage, isn't it? Somebody to just go through life together with. As Spurgeon said, to multiply those joys and to divide those struggles and sorrows. That life can be just a little bit easier in those hard times. It can be that much better in the good times. Why? Because of your spouse. God gave us marriage to fulfill our emotional needs. Secondly, God gave us marriage to fulfill our relational needs. We saw that Adam was alone, but also Adam needed what? He needed help. God gave us marriage to fulfill our relational needs. Look at verse 21. So the Lord caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and while he slept, he took one of his ribs and closed the place up with flesh. The rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, This at last is bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Adam needed help in this work of having dominion and subduing and to be fulfilled this responsibility to go and be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth with God's image bearers created in the image and likeness of God himself. Adam could not fulfill the work that God had given him to do without Eve. Adam was alone. Adam needed help. And thirdly, God gave us marriage to make us holy. God gave us marriage to make us holy. Verse 24 and 25, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and shall hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and the wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Adam and Eve were naked in the garden, meaning they were without clothing, but they were not ashamed. Why? Because sin had not stained their relationship as of yet. They were together in perfect, holy, sacred covenant of marriage. Friends, it's important for us to remember that this is one of the key purposes that God has for us in marriage, to make us holy. God desires marriage for our lives to make us holy more than he desires for it to make us happy. Through marriage, husband and wife coming together, living life together, two sinful human beings repenting over and over and again, forsaking sin, turning away, back to God, turning back to our spouses, that whole cycle of confession and repentance and turning back and going back to our relationship with God and our spouse. Marriage does that over and over, day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year, decade after decade. It is a lifelong pursuit of what? Marriage being used by God to make us more like his son, Jesus Christ. And he uses that imperfect spouse and all their bad habits and idiosyncrasies that get under your skin, that may drive you crazy, he uses all those things, what? To make us holy, to teach us patience, to teach us what it looks like to truly give of ourselves as Christ gave of himself for the church. So God gave us marriage to fulfill our, our emotional needs, our relational needs, and to make us holy. And then finally, God gave us marriage to magnify his glory. Follow this progression with me here. God stated the purposes for man and woman in chapter number one was to what? Be fruitful and multiply. 
procreation leads to, evangel- leads to evangelism, which leads to discipleship, which leads to Christ building and equipping his bride, the body of Christ, which he will present back to the Father without spot or blemish. You see, if we reverse engineer this thing we call marriage, at the heart of every biblical church is what? The family. At the heart of every biblical family is a what? A marriage. At the heart of every biblical marriage is a man and a woman coming together as one so that they can pursue God's purposes in marriage, which in turn magnifies and exponentially grows the glory of God in this world. One, we looked at the purposes of marriage. Secondly, we're going to look at the priority of marriage. There's a priority in marriage. One, because biblical marriage is at the core of any sustainable government or society. The world we live in would decry that statement to the grave. To admit that biblical marriage is at the core of any sustainable And healthy government and society is a ludicrous statement in the world that we live in, but it's a reality. God created us with gender. God created man with a distinct gender. He created woman with a distinct gender. And the purpose of those genders were for them to come together in the covenant of marriage and to be fruitful and multiply, to subdue and have dominion over this world that God has given us to be stewards of. Before he even establishes the institutions of government, before he even establishes the institution of the local church, God gave us what? Marriage. Adam and Eve had to get marriage right before society could handle government, before society could handle the local church. We had to have the priority of marriage at the base foundation for all the other aspects of life to take on. Why? Why would God establish marriage before these other two institutions? If you take a closer look at Scripture, both the Old Testament and the New Testament, you look at the institutions of both government and the local church, you'll find that the biblical framework for marriage is a key component in the health and sustainability of both. God obviously knew that. That was part of his design and order that Andy talked about as he worked through the creation accounts. So you see, friends, there's a supremacy, or by way of alliteration for Dave Welch's purpose, we used three Ps this morning. You're proud of me? I knew you would be. So there's a supremacy to marriage or a priority to the institution of marriage at the heart of every society. That's, that's important for us to note. That's a big deal. That's how God designed this world. It was his plan for the family, for marriage to be at the core of his creation. There's a priority of marriage, secondly, because biblical marriage is meant to be a timeless picture. This is huge. Listen up. If you're not going to listen to anything this morning, please listen to this. There's a priority of marriage, too, because biblical marriage is meant to be a timeless picture or representation of the gospel. This is, this is so big for us to understand and how we relate to and how we pursue this idea of marriage. It's meant to be a timeless picture and representation of the gospel. Friends, right now, do you realize that today we are painting a picture of the gospel to the world by how we live with, relate to, and interact with our spouse in the context of marriage? We're painting a picture of the gospel to the world by how we relate to, live with, and interact with our spouses in the context of marriage. That's a big deal. Is your picture of the gospel accurate? Is it biblical? Is it Christ sacrificially giving of himself for his bride? Is it the bride willingly submitting herself on their headship of her husband as demonstrated in Ephesians chapter number five? What is the world seeing as our picture of the gospel as a result of how we are living out marriage? Do we remember Ephesians five? I'll read these two verses by by way of reminder. Husbands, 
Love your wives how? As Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Verse 31, therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother, hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, Paul says. And I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. Verse 33, he closes out. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. So I'm going to ask a question to those of you that are here this morning that are married. And I hope that it will cause you to think beyond the craziness of whatever your life has right now. Kids in different stages of life juggling demanding career paths, Um, whatever the craziness of of your marriage is today, I'm going to ask you a question and I pray that it'll cause you to think beyond the demands of your schedule, going here and there and accomplishing this or that, all the things that we do with our marriage. But the question is this, do you understand that your greatest evangelistic resource that God has given you is your spouse? Seems like an odd question and even odd statement. Do you realize that the greatest evangelistic effort and resource that God has given you is simply your spouse? Let let me explain that a little bit further. We've learned a lot about evangelism and discipleship. Maybe you've read some books, gone to some conferences, learned a system of evangelism, whatever it might be. So my explanation of that question is this. It's not your faithfulness to hand out X amount of tracts or to go serve at a homeless shelter or go on a short-term mission trip. Those are, those are all good things, not talking down on those things. But God has given us marriage to put on display in the context of our own, our own home for our kids to see, outside the home for our neighbors to see, as we're opening up our home for strategic hospitality opportunities, when you're at your workplace with your spouse, maybe a holiday dinner, a corporate event, there's observation of husband and wife in the context of biblical marriage. What? Will the world, those that don't know Christ as their Lord and personal Savior, what will they see? What picture of the gospel are they observing as a result of how we are stewarding this covenant of marriage? My prayer is that they will not just see Eric and Christina, two people that make up a couple. They won't just see Andy and Lisa, Dave and Sarah, Matt and Deanna, Justin and Cassandra, Allie and Aaron, Dave and Kathy, Riley and Lydia, They won't just see Dave and Pam, Paul and Megan, Christian and Amber. They won't just see Luke and Angela, Tom and Lori, Russ and Kim, Bob and Ellen, Ryan and Amy. That's all I could remember off the top of my head. I'm sure I missed some. If I did, I apologize. But what's my point here, friends? There's so much more than just two coming together, signing a piece of paper and calling it good. There's something eternal at stake here with this thing that we call covenant marriage. It's a big deal, and God desires for us to steward it well for our good and for his glory. What's my point in reading out all those couples' names? They don't just see a couple. What they should see is the gospel of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. They should see Ephesians 5, 33, that each one of you love his wife as himself and let each wife see that she respects her husband. Friends, this is a countercultural living type of thing. This isn't popular. You're not going to see this on the headlines of our news this morning, this evening, or anytime soon. There's an evangelistic pursuit that we're able to accomplish by how we steward this covenant of marriage. It's a big deal. There's a final 
aspect and truth of marriage that we're going to look at. We've seen the purpose and the priority of marriage. Thirdly, we're going to look at the perseverance of marriage. The perseverance of marriage. Mark chapter number 10, verses number 2 through 9, the Pharisees came to Jesus trying to get him in a gotcha moment on this topic of what? Topic of divorce, right? You remember that? Pharisees came up and in order to test him, asked, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? He answered them, what did Moses command you? They said, Moses allowed a man to write a certificate of divorce and to send her away. And Jesus said to them, because of the hardness of your heart, he wrote you this commandment. But from the beginning of creation that we've just been learning about, chapters one and two, God made them male and female. Jesus is quoting from that Pentateuch, from that Torah. Goes on in verse seven. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. He goes on and he says this, what therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. What God has joined together, let not man separate. You've observed that over and over and over, that statement read, proclaimed, memorized, as you've sat in pews at wedding chapels and observed family members and friends commit to the Lord to this covenant of marriage. But what God has joined together, let not man separate. There's a perseverance of marriage that we as His people need to be mindful of. Because as soon as we step into this covenant of marriage, we have placed an extra bullseye on our back that Satan desires to absolutely rob, to steal, kill, and destroy. John 10.10, our marriage. All that evangelistic effort, all that eternal implications, all those meaningful purposes that we laid out that God has designed and planned for in marriage, Satan desires to absolutely dilute, to distort, and ultimately to destroy. The world that we live in, even our own flesh at times, and certainly this devil that is the prince of this air are throwing everything that they can at the covenant of, of marriage. Why? Why is the world and the devil so concerned about just cutting the legs off on this topic of marriage because it's what it represents. It represents the gospel of Jesus Christ. That Jesus Christ came from the glories of heaven, lived a perfect life, went to a cross, shed his blood, sacrificially gave of himself, went to a tomb, rose again on the third day and defeated sin, death, and hell. That is the truth. But... If Satan can somehow wreak havoc in this covenant that we call marriage, what, he, what can he do? He can cast doubt. He can cast question marks on the validity of Christ's life, person, and work because his people aren't living in the, co in the covenant of marriage as they should and as he designed. So friends, there is much on us by way of obedience and stewardship and perseverance, and stick to -itiveness. We must have some resolve in our heart, some resolve in our mind, and some resolve in our actions to keep on choosing our spouse every day. To make that choice to love them when they don't deserve it. To make that choice to love them when they pushed you away. To make that choice to love them despite the hurt that they've caused in your life. We must make that choice. Was Christ's love towards me conditional? Doesn't that do away with the very definition of grace? Unmerited favor? I'm thankful that Christ sought me out. I'm thankful that he pursued me. I'm thankful that he left and ran after that wandering sheep and brought him back to the flock. 
Don't let your love towards your spouse and how you relate to each other in the context of biblical marriage be conditional. Because guess what? When you both have that mindset, what are you going to keep on doing? Preferring one another. You're going to have biblical deference towards one another. You're going to desire to outdo one another in the context of biblical marriage. And it'll be for your good. It'll maximize the glory of God. It'll be the brightest evangelistic light that we could ever imagine in this world because our marriages right here at Liberty Hills Bible Church are biblical, they're strong, they're healthy, and they are shining bright for his glory. So friends, we must fight. There's perseverance in that word. Despite the pain, despite the, the, the failures, Despite the setbacks, we must keep on fighting for our marriages. So I'm going to ask you simple this morning. No matter how good or bad you may think your marriage is today, I want us all to know that God has a plan and a purpose for each and every person here this morning because no matter what your marital status is even here today this morning, God desires you to live out the heart of marriage, which is the gospel in all of our biblical relationships, just as Jesus did wasn't married. He lived out the heart of marriage in love, respect, submission, deference, and humility. Friends, let's consider the implications of this first institution of biblical marriage. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. A heavy topic this morning, no doubt. I pray that you would just bless us with a, a sweet fellowship within our application and implementation time to consider how we now put into practice your heart, your mind, as seen in Genesis chapter number two of bringing Adam and Eve together in the context of marriage. I pray that in a culture that is desiring to destroy your definition of marriage, that we would hold fast to it and we would defend it, not necessarily by a loud voice and a closed fist. We would defend it by how we live, how we love and how we interact with our spouses. I pray to that end, in Jesus' precious name we pray, amen.